0: Hey guys, party care. Welcome back to the baseball dad show. And today I want to take you into what is the busiest day of my week. And I also want to talk to you about something that your son has probably said to you, or maybe you even said uh, describing your son's performance. And if you've been around the game for any length of time, you've definitely heard this, right? Usually after a bad performance or a bad outing, uh, you know, a pitcher will either say, I couldn't find my curveball, I couldn't find my changeup. Or, or a parent or a coach will say, oh, he, he just couldn't get a grasp of his curveball or his changeup or his off-speed, whatever. So I'll come back to that in a second. So let me take you into the busiest day of my week. As a pitching coach who works mostly virtually with the pitchers that I work with, um, I have pitchers that are college pitchers. I have pitchers that are high school pitchers. I have pitchers that are youth pitchers. I have, pi- I have pitchers in all different time zones across the country. I have a few pitchers who are actually outside of the country. My schedule is just all over the place, right? With all of those different schedules running kind of opposites, you know, opposite of each other and all the different time zones that I have to manage, I I generally work six days a week. I have to make myself available for my clients or just would not get done. Now, if you've ever, um, you know, uh, booked a a call with me or tried to book uh, uh, an instructional session with me, it would look like I only work six days a week because I don't book anything on Mondays. I don't work with clients on Mondays. um, So I don't, there's no way to schedule an appointment for me on a Monday. And the reason why is it's not my off day. It's actually the single busiest day of my week because from probably about Sunday afternoon, four o'clock-ish, right, um, all the way to about maybe like noon on Monday, my email and my text messages are just flooded. And it literally takes me the entire time and day just to get back and converse and connect with all of those people. Now, the vast majority of those people are people that are new clients looking to work with me and they're coming to me for help. And they're usually coming to me for help because their son pitched over the weekend and it didn't go well. Right. And they're looking for some kind of help to, to help get it back on track or at least to see what's wrong or to give their son more confidence or, or to help them bounce back, whatever. So invariably what I will hear as I'm conversing with people, either you know, email or in some or text or jumping on the phone with them, is I will hear, well, he he just can't he can't get he can't find his changeup, or he could he didn't have his curveball. Or, you know, he sometimes he has it and sometimes he doesn't. Now, this to me is is super frustrating as a pitching coach because you know, my instinct is just to well, here's why right? And that's just not a great approach, right? So what I have to do is I have to, I have to kind of dig a little bit. I said, well, tell me about, you know, his curveball or tell me about his changeup or, you know, sometimes if I'm talking to the player, I'll say, like, teach it to me, like, just teach it to me as if you were going to, you know, you're teaching it to like a little kid who wanted to learn your pitch. Tell me everything that you would, you would, you know about throwing it, that you've been taught about throwing it, trying to reteach it to me. And generally what I hear are the reasons why they can't find those other pitches. So if you've ever heard me talk about pitching, I, I've often used this, you know, this uh, kind of analogy to describe pitching. A lot of what is taught in pitching instruction is three times three is nine, four times four is 16, five times five is 25, eight times eight is 64, right? And then we kind of focus on teaching like, like these very specific things, right? And we think that they're coming together all into one big, you know, to all fit together into one, you know, overarching system. But if you went to your pitching coach and he, he, you know, just metaphorically taught you the answer to two times two and the answer to three times three and four times four and five times five, six times six and all the way to 10 times 10, right? If you just memorize the answers to those, right? I know 10 times 10 is 100, right? And then I gave you a test on it and the 10 problems on the test were the exact 10, 10 problems you, mem- you memorized. It would give you the illusion that you understood multiplication, the principles of multiplication. But the problem comes is that we may have all the answers to those specific problems memorized, but that doesn't help us when the problem is, what's 212 times 104? That's going to require an understanding of the principles of mathematics. In fact, when you understand the principles of mathematics, you can put any Problem in front of a kid who understands the principles of mathematics, having never worked with those specific numbers before, and he can give you an answer. The problem is when we're talking about pitches, is that we teach them almost like in these kits, right? We teach them like today we're going to work on all the three times three, three times four, three times five, three times six, three times seven, and memorize those. But that, again, that doesn't teach us the principles. So when we teach pitches, like I said, they kind of come with kits. Here's how you hold it. First thing, here's how you hold it. Here's how you throw it. Here's what it should look like. Here's how it should move and so on and so forth. Now, what happens next is we work on, we take the kit out and we work on the kit. The problem with that is that the the kit is is beneath the principle. And the kit is, is a set of specific instructions that may have worked for somebody in the past. I'm not saying that those things are wrong, just like if you memorize three times three is nine, that's, that's the correct answer, right? But it's void of the principles of multiplication as are instructing pitches void of the principles of moving the ball, which is really what we want to do. So kids say, well, I need a curveball, or I need a change up or I need an off speed, a sinker. Well, you no, know, you don't need that what you what, let's go to what you you've kind of what you want is you want the ability to change speeds on a hitter what you want is a pitch that's going to run towards your arm side what you want is a pitch that's going to run towards your glove side that's what you want right and you you think that's what you want so now what you're saying is now you need a specific pitch that does that now that's Obviously a curveball goes to your glove side. A changeup will move to your arm side. Obviously, that is correct. Just like three times three, it's correct. But but the problem comes is that when the kid only learns the kit, they only learn the kit. And when the kit isn't working on any given day, they don't have the principles to be able to adapt. So the kid has memorized the answers to the 10 multiplication problems. And then when the when the next problem on the test is what's 88 times 210? they can't do it. And so that's when a pitcher gets stuck. So when they don't have it, they don't know what to do because they don't have principles. So when it comes to understanding pitches, there's basically, you need three pitches. You need one that goes straight. You need one that goes to your arm side. So like an off-speed pitch, off-speed pitches go to your arm side. And you need one that goes to your glove side. You need um, a breaking ball. So what I like to do when teaching pitches is I like to go one level up. See, I want to teach the principles. I only want to teach in a level of principles because when somebody understands the principles, they can apply those principles across the board. So like we talked about the, in the last podcast about, you know, is velocity training good for pitchers? Well, I made the, I made the point of saying, well, if your son goes into algebra class, how well he does in algebra class is going to, you know, be, is going to be determined by the foundation of his mathematical education up until that point right? And so what we want to do is create a base of principles of understanding how does the ball move? How do we change speeds? When we understand how the ball moves and how we change speeds, now we're outside of the specific kits. We're outside of three times three. Now we're up into the area of principles. So a very simple formula, right? If you were to take your middle finger and it was to go through the middle of the baseball, that will be the straightest and the hardest you will throw it. So think about shooting a free throw, right? You wanna cut your middle finger through the middle of the ball because you want that ball to spin back. You want it to go into the hoop in a straight line, right? So how I instruct my players is is actually vastly different than a lot of people do. A lot of people start with grips and a lot of people start with hands and wrists and snapping and all this other kind of stuff. I'll get into that in a second. Most of that is meaningless. So what I wanna look at is when the arm snaps straight at release point, there's gonna be an angle and it's really an angle created by your forearm. So we used to say it's an angle created by forearm, wrist, and hand. Well, that is true, but you can't create an angle with your wrist and your hand that you also don't create with your forearm. So it's really a forearm angle, and the wrist and the hand are are, are reacting to that forearm angle. So if you have your middle finger through the middle of the baseball, that's gonna make the ball go as fast as you can and straight. Let's say if you move that ball just one click, you turn, the, you turn the ball towards you, right? So your your hand is, your, the back of your hand is going out and the ball is coming towards you, right? As you're releasing it, just one click. And I like to have kids imagine that it's almost like a lock, like the old, I think they still have, they still use like the locks on a locker, right? You know, like the turning locks, like all the little hashtags there representing the numbers. If you just turn that one little hashtag, let's see if we can get the ball to move an inch. So I want to see if, you can get, if we can get the ball to move an inch because I want to see if we can start to establish your understanding of principles. So instead of going right to a full curveball, let's see if we can, we can throw a fastball. Let's, do, let's click one notch on the lock and let's see if we can throw a higher speed breaking pitch. So anytime your middle finger is moving based on your forearm angle, is off the center of the ball, that is going to increase spin, decrease movement. And as you get further away, it's going to increase increase movement more and decrease speed more, right? So if I'm going to throw a sinker, I might, I'm turning that one click in. The back of my hand is coming in towards my body. The ball is going away. One click. That's going to give me a little less speed, and it's going to increase movement. Now, if I do two clicks, that's going to decrease speed even more, increase movement even more. Three clicks, four clicks, five clicks, right? The same thing going the other way on a breaking ball. Right. One click, two click, three click, four clicks. A four clicks would be a full, you know, supination of the, of the, of the forearm and you would be throwing a, a traditional curveball. So the reason why the pitchers that I get to work with never have the experience, I, I shouldn't say never. They, they, of course they do. They're, you know, they're kids and stuff like that, but very rarely have the experience of not having a pitch on a given day is because they're not using a kit. They're, they're coming from the level of understanding the principles of how the ball moves and how we change speeds. So we are dealing in the level of off-speed pitches and breaking pitches. And even those aren't great definitions, right? Because essentially, essentially an off-speed pitch is one that moves to your arm side, right? And it's going to – so if your forearm angle is turned palm out, right, in pronation, Right, that would decrease speed and increase movement going towards your arm side. Now, in supination of turning the ball in, that would decrease movement and decrease speed and increase movement going to your glove side. So essentially they're both decreasing speed and um and increasing movement, it's just going to two different sides. So even calling them a breaking ball and an off speed, a, a curveball's off speed too. Right? It's just one, they're just moving in two different directions. Right? So when we understand that, now what we're able to do is let's say, Hey, we can't find our curveball. Okay. Well, I understand principles of movement. Let me back this up. Maybe today I'm going to work a little bit more off of my fastball and I'm going to give myself some higher velocity movement just by going one or two clicks in what we might traditionally call a cutter or a sinker. And then even I I, get, I catch myself, even saying cutter and sinker, there's a million different little clicks in there, right? And spots that, but we just kind of, again, if you're, if you're going with the kit, the kit says it's this, this, and this, Right? So I want to go a level up and I want the kids to understand the principles of movement. When they understand that now they're able to adjust. Now, if the problem is 212 times 96, they understand the principles of multiplication. They can solve that problem. Even if they've never even seen or solved that problem before in their life. Right? Cause they understand the principles and that's what, for me, I want to send my players to the mound prepared, right? I don't, I don't want them to just go out to the mound and say, well, I have this kit and if the kit all shows up, then I'll pitch well. And if the kit doesn't show up, now I'm reduced to a two pitch pitcher, which just wreaks havoc mentally on pitchers. Um, just a few other notes on, on pitches. Um, uh, oftentimes what dictates the consistency of a pitch, not oftentimes all the time, what dictates the consistency of the pitch, um, is going to be the stabilization of your release point. Stabilization of your release point is only going to come through consistent mechanics. Consistent mechanics is only going to come through wiring nervous system patterns with the right amount of repetitions and the right amount of, and the right movements. Now, can you find control of a certain pitch without that? Yes. You just won't do it consistently. One of the challenges that I like, every once in a while, a parent will kind of, I wouldn't even say challenge me, but just, you know, question that when I'm trying to make mechanical changes, and I'm saying, well, this is, this is going to help all your pitches. They'll say, well, he has a good curveball, or he has a good this. I'm like, um, okay, um, I'm willing to go along with you. Let's, let's, go for, let's table that conversation for two weeks. I want you to give me kind of a, a statistical analysis in like two weeks of how he's pitching. And what I'm willing to bet is that probably about one-third of the time he's really good, one-third of the time he's hot and cold, and one-third of the time he doesn't have it at all. And so, and so they'll come back and they say, yeah, you were exactly right. So, so here's the thing is you're looking at the times that he has it and thinking that's the baseline. That's it. Right. And you're just ignoring the other two thirds of the time where he's hot and cold and doesn't have it. No, that's actually it. The, the anomaly is when he has it is when he has it. So can you find a good release point um, on given days with bad mechanics? Of course, you can you can get into a groove, but it, that's not the system. If that can't if that can't happen consistently, then that's not the system that's going to produce long term success for you. So um, the last thing I'll say, too, is we spend an, an unbelievable amount of time on grip. Um, grip is, is completely secondary to um, the principle of how to move the ball. Um, there is there is because you can't point to any um, uh, one common denominator. So it is not. So if you say this is how you grip a certain pitch, you're talking about that. And I'm very careful about this as a pitching coach. You're talking about it as if that's a principle. If that were a principle, then it would work the same for everybody. So if that this were the way to grip a curveball or to grip a changeup or to grip a sinker or grip a cutter, then that would be, that would work for everybody equally across the board. And we just know that doesn't. If it did, we wouldn't talk about grips. We wouldn't talk about changing them. So I want to I want my kids to be able to throw all their pitches with a 4 scene fastball grip. And I can get them to do all of that because the grip is secondary to the principle of how the ball moves and how we change speed. Now, once they establish mastery, over moving the ball with a four-seam grip, then we can play around with grip, we can play around with grip. And one of the best actual uses of technology I think today is if you have a Rap Soto or something similar is that you can play around with different grips and as long as you understand the principles of how the ball moves and how we change speeds, you can actually see which grips may give you an advantage in, in, in uh, velocity or spin rate. So um, there are some advantages to using technology in that way. So. Longer podcasts, these are getting a little bit too long these days. But um so that's that's a surefire way to never have your kids show up at a game and not have some assemblance of a fastball, a breaking ball, and an off-speed pitch. It might not be the exact kit, but the biggest thing is that we want to send them out to the mound with three pitches and the ability to compete and the ability to adapt when things don't show up perfectly as they want them. All right, so if you guys want my help, if you want me to work with your son on any of this. You can send me an email, paulreddick at gmail.com, or you can text me 201-323-0840. Both those email, uh, both the email and the text, uh, number are in the, uh, are in the show notes. And I'll see you guys on the next episode. Thanks.